Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? And welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Today we're turning professional and I'm here to let you know that I am learning all the behind the scenes stuff that goes on with with putting these episodes together. Uh, my daughter's sitting here very patiently beside me. Hi, Sam. Hi, Melinda. <laughs> and she's trying to teach me to use GarageBand and do track saving and all those kinds of things. So from now on in, you've got me and me alone to blame for all the mistakes that happen. Uh, I'll be... Uh, recording and posting on Mondays and Wednesdays because that's part of the new look professional me organized and methodical so Mondays and Wednesdays mark them in your calendar for episodes of writer on the road and all things indie publishing the second thing I've got to tell you is that our newsletter uh, will come out only once a week and I've been really slack about that I think I've done two only but from now on, once a week, probably on Mondays, I've plucked that figure out of the air, but that gives me weekends to do it, please um, pop over to Rider on the Road and subscribe, and that way you'll catch up with all the goings-on here at Rider on the Road. Uh, things are about to get interesting because I've only got four weeks of teaching left, and then I'm starting my year of living and writing creatively. The exciting thing about that, everyone, is that I am going to YouTube weekly for the next year. And you'll get to hear all about my highs, lows and in-betweens of my year of living creatively. The main one that you're going to hear about in the short term is how we're going to survive financially. So I can't wait to see that one myself because I'm very curious about how we're going to survive financially. And my daughters are watching and waiting with bated breath. I think they both think they're going to have to go out and get jobs. But that's okay. We'll manage. The other thing I need to ask you to do is to pop over to iTunes and give me a review. This is something that I have to ask every time. Uh, every week now pop over to itunes give me a review because that makes me look better in some kind of rankings that i don't know absolutely nothing about but because i'm professional i'm here by asking this week we've got the wonderful ali sinclair uh, and she's far more professional than me and i've got to tell you we had a wonderful time with our interview and then on wednesday's episode i'm going to post kate forsyth and that woman is just amazing with all the things going on in her life at the moment she she actually um made time for us and we learned so very very much from her as I'm sure you you guys already have and you already know and love her to pieces uh, the last thing I have launched my teen story slingers course now that is the most exciting thing in the world for me and my daughters because we've been under huge amounts of stress launching this course so we're glad that it's gone um, I hit the little launch button accidentally because uh, I thought I'd hit it and find out how to launch but unfortunately it launched the course so we're live and we're ready and we're happening that's all from me now sit back relax listen to Ali and I will practice my intros and get get better I promise and it's welcome to another episode of writer on the road uh, I've already discussed with my current guests that this episode could end up anywhere. We're talking about the writing life and I welcome tonight the beautiful Ali. Ali, welcome to uh, Writer on the Road. 
Oh, thanks for having me, Melinda. I'm looking forward to seeing where we end up. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Ali, I'd I'm going to start uh, by getting you to tell us a little bit about uh, where you're at at the moment with your current writing projects because it's just so exciting. We'll do the background bit in a moment. But if you'd like mm-hmm. to tell us about what you're publishing at the moment, what's happening in your life because from my reading it's pretty exciting. <laughs> yes. Now, this year has just, just been a stellar year. There are some years you just... They go down in history. 2016 has been one of those years for me. Um, Work-wise, I've handed in two full manuscripts. So that has been quite the challenge. Uh, but it's really great because now I'm, I'm 12 months ahead, which is is something I didn't think I'd ever be able to do. But um, So I'm waiting to hear from our publisher as to which of the two ha- manuscripts I've handed in uh, will be next and then which one will be the one after that. So that's kind of like waiting for a birthday surprise. Uh, and then I've also had new releases. That's my Australian publisher and then my American publisher. I'm releasing two books this year, uh, one in July just gone, another one coming out in December and then the third one coming out in May next year, uh, and uh, it's and there's yes there's also something else but I can't talk about it yet because it's top oh we secret. don't tell, we don't tell anyone you you feel free just you know we don't care. <laughs> Well, yes, my, my first translation rights have been sold, so I'm very excited with that as well. Right. <laughs> that's about all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's interesting because that's one thing we haven't talked about yet uh, on the podcast. I've been waiting. I'm getting Joanna Penn, who's a great indie uh, author. I'm waiting mm. to get her on in November to talk about international rights. Um, but I think you've scooped that one. So we will talk about international rights because that's something we all <laughs> aspire to. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's yeah. it's been it's been quite. I would say the last eighteen months have just blown me out of the water with how fast things have moved. It's yeah. been great. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm I'm going to go back and do the introductions properly now because I knew okay. from the minute I read uh, about Ali and I've been looking scrolling through Facebook and looking at her website and doing a bit of fossicking around. I knew this lady was going to be very exciting right from the start. Uh, first of all, I'm looking at a planning board behind her, uh, behind Ali as <laughs> we speak, and it's got 2016 with stuff scribbled all over it. We've talked about um, both of us having lives from hell with our to-do lists uh, mm. and you can see why with Ali um, even from my reading I never picked up on half the things that Ali's got going so two full manuscripts uh, a third one happening in the next little while uh, the books that she's got published already which we'll talk about in a moment uh, but first of all I want to introduce formally Ali Sinclair um, she is author of a couple of beautiful books and I think what attracted me um, was Midnight Serenade and it was an international release and it was called something Mm. tango before that for the Australian release alley which I'm not sure whether your first or second book or whether your Italian book was your first book but you haven't been writing long not in uh, 2014 maybe uh, yes, like- my yeah, yeah. My first book came out with Harlequin in Australia and New Zealand, and that was Luna Tango. And then the second book with Harlequin came out in February this year, and that's called Under the Spanish Stars. Um, I've got a third one coming out next year, uh, and then uh, Kensington, who's my American publisher, they bought three books as well. So their uh, Midnight Serenade is the international edition of Luna Tango just to confuse everyone. 
Uh, Under the Spanish Stars is coming out in December, so they're staying with the same title. And then there'll be a third book, which is the Russian Ballet in Paris, and that comes out next May. And that one's called Under the Parisian Sky. Oh, now it makes sense, everyone. If you're listening here, just be blown away. One of the things that I picked up when I was scrolling through Ali's um, writings was her very, very passionate love of everything to do with song and dance. And that was one of my questions I was going to ask tonight. But because you've got the the Prussian, what was the name of the title? I was about to write that down. I forgot. Under the Parisian Sky. Under the Parisian Sky. Would you like to tell us about your love of dance, your love of song, and how that must have inspired your next book? Uh, Honestly, I I was having a think about this the other day, and storytelling and music and dance I think has always been intertwined for me. When I was four, I remember um, lying on the bed with my grandma, and who was the best storyteller I know, and we'd look at this blank wall and we would ha- have these images flashing before us and we'd be telling each other about what's going on, you know, whether it's the princess and she's singing about this or whatever. And so that always stuck with me. And I grew up on musicals and I did dance for 20-odd years. So I think it's always been a really big part of my life and it just was a natural progression to be able to combine that with my love for culture because a lot of the dances that I write about are very heavily entrenched in the country's culture, like flamenco with Spain and tango in Argentina. And it just made sense for me to write stories that combined all those things that I, I love, especially travel as well. Yeah. <laughs> and and Ali and I organised this interview, everyone, a little while ago. And as you all know by now, I'm fairly eclectic about um, my choices of interviewees. And I said to Ali tonight, I can't remember exactly why we teed this interview up, but because I have such a passion for travel and because I have such a passion for getting out there and learning about new places, I'm pretty sure that Ali's passion for travel has a lot to do with my interest. And if you look at her books, you look at her covers, you will see that passion shining through and then I found that um, she loved Jean Kelly uh, and she's oh, got some yes. videos up on her website and I thought, okay, I'm in love. And then she likes chocolate as well. So this girl ticks all my boxes um, and just because it's nighttime here, uh, we're not talking about um, sunset drinks. But, Ali, how does your passion for travel inspire your writing? Ah, well, Luna Tango or Midnight Serenade as it is in the USA and UK uh, ended up being my love letter to Argentina. I initially went to Argentina a very long time ago uh, to go and climb mountains. I was very much into mountaineering back then and I originally went to Argentina to go and climb Aconcagua, which is the highest mountain in the Americas. But the second I stepped off the plane in Buenos Aires, I felt like I was returning home. I never had that feeling anywhere else in my entire life, but it just felt like the most natural thing to be there. And even though I couldn't understand a word of Spanish at the time, I just felt really comfortable and I just kind of had a sense of knowing everything was just going to work out fine. So I did that mountaineering trip and after I left Argentina, it just, Argentina really wouldn't leave my heart. So I went back and forth for a couple of years and then in the end I ended up moving there and that's when I really got to embrace the whole Argentine culture. 
And when I eventually moved back to Australia and I wrote Lena Tango, it was probably a good six months after I had it published that I realised that this is my love letter to Argentina because I just love the place so much. I miss it every single day. Um, but travel and culture is just something I adore and like to instil the idea that you can go and experience new things with my kids. Um, and I'm pretty sure my oldest, like, she'll, she'll be out of here the second she can. She's only 10, but she's already decided she's living in Paris, which is fine because I'd be happy to go and visit. <laughs> Yeah, and and as we're chatting here, everyone, uh, Ali lives in Melbourne here in Australia, and the uh, enthusiasm is is just in her voice and in her face. You can hear it, you can see it. It's really really exciting, and it's funny that as you travel and as as you see these things, how that pours into your writing, but it also pours mm. into your writing life. And we've decided tonight that the theme of our podcast is going to be the writing life because Ali has thrown herself into this life with such enthusiasm and is so very, very generous with her fellow authors. Uh, the one thing that struck me when I was reading about you is your generosity and your sharing of other people's successes. Would you like to tell us what the, what the writing life means to you? Uh, first and foremost, it's friendship, it's camaraderie, it's finding something in common with someone else and being able to absolutely understand each other. In in regards to writers, it's it's more along the lines of knowing that hearing voices <laughs> in your head or having a character talk to you is totally normal. <laughs> and I have found my tribe and it's it's the friendships that I've had that have sprung up from the organisations I've been in and people I've met along the way is just wonderful. But I would also put readers into that. Now that I'm published and I am getting feedback from readers and meeting readers, I love that as well. So it's really the, yeah, the friendships from the readers and fellow writers that that is my number one thing that keeps me going. Um, and very close second, of course, is is the stories and the characters that, that live in my head that decide to turn up on the page. Yeah, I look. I understand more and more why I, why I'm drawn to you. I'm I'm going to suggest that that's what our lives are all about as mm-hmm. as writers, and we have such a wonderfully supportive community here in Australia. Um, you're obviously getting out there and getting about. Um, one of the blog posts that I know I remembered from earlier on was that beautiful high tea, and I think I forwarded oh, on my Facebook yes. today. Um, it just looks so romantic. Uh, now you were on there with two other beautiful authors? I was. I was uh, with Fiona Lowe and Kerry Arthur. The afternoon was organised by the Australian Romance Readers Association. Um, and if you're a mad keen reader, definitely go and check them out. They are a wonderful organisation of people who are like-minded, love stories, love reading, love getting to know authors. Um, they're, they're really fantastic and they're, they're very supportive of Australian authors here. So they organised that afternoon and it was just so special to spend it with other authors and other readers and getting to know people who I had known on Facebook or they'd messaged me after they'd read a book. Um, but to actually meet them face-to-face was fantastic and, and get to know them a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah. I was going to say I love getting out to meet readers, actually. It's, it's one of my favourite things too. <laughs> yeah, and it's Osram, isn't it? 
Um, it's ARA, A-R-R-A, or the Australian Romance Readers Association. Um, they do such an amazing work for Australian authors and readers and bringing us all together. They actually have a conference or convention in Melbourne in February. So if anyone's thinking about um, getting together with a whole bunch of other readers, they can uh, go and check that out. That's really fantastic. Yeah, and it seems to be a very closed uh, or close-knit community here mm. in Australia. And I apologise to my international uh, listeners at the moment, but I just <laughs> want to unpick this a little bit because we're a small country. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a small readership um, compared to our international cohorts, I guess, and yet we are very, very prolific. Um, mm. we, we write a lot of books like I'm... As you said, I, I picked up two or three, and we'll talk about your surfy hot bod from Brazil or wherever oh. it was from uh, shortly. Yes. Uh, that might have been just oh, something else. I, forgot about him. I didn't because I've got things I need to talk to you about that. Uh, but yeah, uh, now that you've got the third one coming out, uh, you're writing very quickly, obviously, because you're with traditional publishers. To turn your books around with traditional publishers now is, is pretty good because they used to be very, very slow. Yeah, I think a lot of it's to do with demand. Um, I Look, being only really in this industry for a few years but having watched the industry from a distance for a decade before, um, I can certainly say now I think readers, they're just consuming so many stories and they're absolutely loving them. And so when they find an author that they love, they just can't wait to get their hands on the next book. I mean, I know that myself as a reader. Um, and, you know, you, sometimes you used to have to wait two or three years. Now it's, you know, sometimes it's only eight months. So I think publishers are listening to that and uh, listening to the readers and as long as the authors can keep producing good quality work, I think the publishers are really actually quite keen to to keep that momentum going for sure. Yeah. Now we've had it with the Australian rural romance writers. We know mm-hmm. how prolific they are and dare I mention Rachel Johns, Jenny Jones, uh, we've got a few others coming up to join us. Uh, uh, now where do your books fit exactly? You know, it's it's a funny one. Um, I When I initially started looking for a literary agent, I knew I had to slap a, a title or a name, a genre, on my books so that they would have a good idea as to where they fit. I actually found it really hard. Um, depending on who I'm talking to, sometimes I say, oh, it's travel fiction because it's, you know, this story set in exotic destinations. Um, I also call it women's fiction, but there's also a family saga involved in there. Um, the first couple of books, there's a bit of a mystery going on. So, yeah, it's a bit, bit hard, which isn't very helpful at all. <laughs> Uh, and I think I, I'm guessing that those uh, lines are blurring a little bit more now because as mm. indie publishers, uh, most of us don't have to uh, lock ourselves into a genre. Now you're True. with Harlequin in Australia, you're with Kensington in America. Your mm-hmm. surfy book was put out by HarperCollins. Uh, yeah, that's right. What, what was it like and how does it work when you're with Harlequin in Australia and Kensington picks you up? Can you give us some of the technical details on that? How does that work? Yeah, um, I guess it depends. Uh, well, for me, um, Harlequin, 
I sold them my Australian and New Zealand rights for my books, which means that they could produce them here and sell them here and that was fine. And then um, I kept the rest of the world English rights. So then when Kensington made an offer, they they wanted to take the rest of the English language rights and also um, the uh, foreign language rights as well. They've got a quite a strong foreign rights department. Uh, so it was just kind of basically one book that was sort of bitten off in different pieces in terms of which territory got the rights to which part. Um, Some people, if they sign with a traditional publisher, they might sign all their English rights over to that publisher. Other publishers are happy just to pick the bits that they need or that they want. Um, So I think every case is quite quite different. Um, And I think for as long as there are different publishing territories, that's probably still going to be the case. But look, who knows what the future holds. (laughs) Yeah. So in hindsight, and I don't know because you were new to publishing, it was quite savvy to, and I don't know how Harlequin work. uh, I haven't got a clue. Mm -hmm. Um, But (laughs) for you to sell the Australian New Zealand rights to Harlequin and they'd be picked Mm. up by Kensington, who is a huge publisher, um, mm, they are. Uh, so to have Harlequin behind you and then Kensington behind you, it's almost like having two chops at the cherry. I'm guessing um, because now yeah. when Kensington pick you up, you're going to be you're going to be released all over again, and you will be huge all over again. Those covers are amazing. Um, everyone, if you get a chance, will. Um, put our details on the end how you can have a look at these covers and again it's what attracted me uh so you've got kensington happening happening does that mean you've got an overseas trip where you get to promote oh i wish (laughs) (laughs) no not at the moment uh but the goal is definitely yeah but yeah at some stage at some point in my career I'd, i'd love to be making regular trips over there and uh you know getting involved in promoting my books for sure yeah, and I probably should go along, everyone, and um, have the microphone under a under a nose so yeah. she can tell us all about it. You know, she needs someone like that. That's right. Yeah. Um, now, <laughs> international rights. I know it's very new, and I know you can't talk about it much. But was mm. it Kensington who organised that for you? Yes. Yeah. It yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was. It was a bit of a surprise. Um, it was something I wasn't expecting because you know, as a writer, you have you have a list of tangible goals like yes I'll finish this manuscript and you know yes I'll write this story but then you have your other separate list of things that you would love to achieve and um you know seeing my books translated was was definitely on that list but it was sort of on that oh one day list like you know the dream list so when it happened I was yeah, I'm still happy dancing. So, yeah. <laughs> and I found out about six weeks ago, I'm still dancing. <laughs> all right. So when I put this up on YouTube, we'll see Ali dancing mm-hmm. all over the place. Um, <laughs> as on her Facebook page, we see so many people dancing across. I think you had a couple of Indian fellows and they were trying to make the whole world smile by happy dancing. But I want to stick with inter- international yeah. rights. I don't want to get distracted by the happy okay. dancers because that was so cute. I laughed. No, um, go on and have a look, everybody. You will laugh as well and it makes the whole world smile with them, which is a very worthy cause. Uh, international rights. Do you think um, our traditional publishers are jumping a little bit more quickly now to tie up international rights because of, um, I guess, indie publishers like Kobo who are, I think I heard this morning on, on a podcast that they're, they're reaching something like 190 countries now. Do you think that's put um, traditional authors, uh, sorry, traditional publishers a little bit more on their toes and getting them to move a little bit more quickly? Um, to be honest, 
I don't know. No, um, yeah, I, oh, it's an interesting question. It's an yeah. interesting question. I'm not to think on that one. I don't know. I, I think. I think if traditional publishers or agents, if they come across something that they love, they're going to jump onto it straight away because they, they don't want to lose it because if they love it, chances are someone else is going to love it. So it's a matter of, being, you know, sometimes who gets in first. Um, but, yeah, look, maybe, yeah, I, honestly, I don't know. That's a great question though. I'm going to have to think on that one. Yeah, um, I, and the reason I asked it is because uh, I'm I'm keeping notes on indie authors as influencers and how very quickly the the marketplace is changing. Uh, as you said, you came on board in 2014 with your first book. Now look mm. how very very successful you are, and a you've got brilliant stories with with fascinating, I guess, settings, places, locations, um, adventure travel romance what more can any of us ask for um but for a traditional publisher to move in two years to have i guess as many books out as you have with more in the offing is mm. just really exciting times for writers and it's a celebration for all of us and i'm just thinking you're almost at the vanguard and saying hey look at me and you've embraced it your would you like to share a little bit with us uh your your efforts of promotion now we had the high tea and i know you go to libraries mm. you're a very busy marketer as well as writer yeah that's you know that's the side that oh it's that's yeah, I find I find marketing quite difficult. I know that it is definitely part of our job. Um, this the marketing, I guess, the promo side of things, like when you go and do a library talk, like that is easy. I love that because I'm amongst readers and and there's that whole interaction. So I find that really easy and very very enjoyable. Um, but yeah, having to go out and talk about your book sometimes it just you just kind of get it I, I think when you sort of sorry let's start again <laughs> when when I was doing the promotion work for my last book Under the Spanish Stars I had about two months where I was going to probably one to two libraries a week which was fantastic and I was really really happy that the libraries actually wanted to have me um but it, it sort of can get quite tiring because you because th- you listen to yourself and you think, oh, does anyone actually really want to hear this <laughs> or not? But then, but then you have your audience and they're all asking questions and every time it's different, um, and and that just makes it so much easier and so much more enjoyable. And I think um, it doesn't ever get boring at all. So I, I love love that side of things. In terms of online promotion, that's the bit I find hard because I, I don't really like doing that. Oh, at me look at me so I much prefer to put the spotlight on someone else which is probably why I love doing this story behind the story series on my blog which means there's other authors who they get to come on and talk about their books and their stories behind their books and I you know one it's helping authors and it's also broadening um the readership as well because you know their readers might come over and have a little look and they might go oh what does Ellie do or um same if i over on someone else's blogs people who i know will go over to that blog and go oh what does that author do so it's i think it's that cross promotion cross marketing authors helping each other out that's that's great that's fun I yeah. enjoy that. And, and but yeah, I, just doing doing a look at me, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> and social media is sort of it's a little bit 
difficult, like it's very personal and intimate in one respect. And then in the other Mm. respect, you look and you think, I've got 5,000 followers now, this is rubbish. And then the algorithms show that we quite often only reach about, you know, one millionth of those people anyway. Mm. So at least when you're talking to real-life people in real-life situations, you have connections. Now, Ali and I have talked about, and I've had this problem on the podcast, that to be a purist, we're supposed to have sound only. But I like being able to see my guests and and develop a relationship (laughs) with them uh, because it's the relationship that that creates a good conversation. And I would Mm. assume that it's the same with you going out and meeting people. Naturally, we can't meet everyone in the whole wide world and you certainly can't go to Argentina every day and promote your beautiful tango book. Um, But you can reach out in ways that was impossible, that was impossible before you could Mm. do it. So the advantages are are there and they're huge. Um, When you're talking to people, what, what do they ask you? Oh, it's, you know, I get such a range of questions. Um, I get questions like, is the story based on you? <laughs> is the hero based on someone you know? <laughs> um, how much research did you do? How long did it take to write? What was your journey to publication? So they're sort of the common common questions that I do get. Um, every now and again, someone will come out with something I totally don't expect. And I know you're going to ask me for an example and I can't think of one, but it'll come to me. <laughs> it's not here, yeah, everybody. I love, yeah, I love the questions, though. I, I, I love that people are interested in, in finding out more about what I do or how the industry works. Um, and like you said before, it's the engagement with the people, which is really absolutely makes it. Yeah, and in some respects you walk into bookshops nowadays and they're like ghost towns and in other respects um, you walk into a library and you've got all these people who want to talk to you and it's really, really exciting. I've got a librarian from Melbourne who has just popped up on the podcast and she's been listening and she's left a nice review on iTunes. Um, If anyone else wants to do that, please go ahead. We need them more. Uh, But her comment was... uh, she listens to my podcast because she's learning more about Australian authors all the time and she goes back and she recommends the books and they, they're they just walking off the shelves. So as a librarian in Melbourne, she wants to know what, mm-hmm. what authors are out there and how she can recommend them to her readership because readers want to know. And I think it's really exciting here in Australia that whether we're indie published or whether we're traditionally published um, and our traditional publishers here, and I'm thinking Harlequin and the Romance Mirror and all those, um, which is part of Harlequin, uh, they do such wonderful promotion and there's such a support they network do. out there that it's yep. really exciting. It's not a them and us, it's everyone in there together. Then we bring in our mm-hmm. librarians, we've got people supporting us. Then we've got people like you as an author um, out there touting, I guess, the wares of other authors, which you do with open arms. Uh, talk, talk to me about how you you integrate your own writing life with sharing the the joys of other writers. You talk about your tribe. Yeah. Oh, my tribe. I love my tribe. <laughs> um. You know, it's interesting. My, my tribe consists of writers across a variety of genres um, and d- different geographical locations. My critique partner, so my, per- my my person who reads through my manuscripts and gives me feedback and 
can be quite brutal at times. She lives in San Francisco. We've been online friends. Yeah, we've been online friends for six years. We used to write a travel and culture blog together. Uh, We've never met, but we chat pretty much every day online. I've got another girlfriend who lives in Brisbane and we're constantly, actually probably an hour ago, we were actually brainstorming ideas for a new book that I had. And then I've got, you know, friends in Perth. I've got friends who are local. So I've got people all over the place. And, um, yeah, it's just it's really great to have to have that camaraderie. So, And I wouldn't think any day goes by when I'm, I'm not in contact with at least two or three writer friends. Yeah. So if, very, you think, yeah. Yeah, if you're thinking, everyone, that the writing life is lonely, think again no Um, I've only been playing in this paddock for a little while with the podcast I actually was very isolated uh living in regional areas in mining camps for 20 years and I thought oh this is really lonely had I had my podcast I would have had all sorts of fun because I would have had to go to school and I would have had to uh, I would have been able to just do this you know all the time and have you all in my pocket and I'm thinking oh times are changing and times are so exciting because we can get word out there and we can chat and as you said you can have a friend in San Francisco am I allowed to mention her name Hi, yeah. Naruzi. Oh, who's Juliet Madison? Oh, yeah, Juliet Madison's here. She's another mate as well. So. <laughs> See, I'm good at yeah. the research, everyone. It doesn't matter. You're here, hearing it here <laughs> first. Um, international rights, new book coming out next year. Who I still don't know whether, and I've got to confess here, um, yeah. that book that you mentioned for next year, I don't know whether you're saying Parisian or Prussian. Oh, Parisian. Parisian. Oh, it's, it's, it's France. It's France. Asian. I'm in love. Yes. Okay. It's about the Russian ballet in France. That's and why I'm confused. Everybody, yeah. keep up, please. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but it flips between present day and also 1917 Paris. So we have Coco Chanel and Matisse and they make little appearances because they, they were very much involved in the Russian ballet back then in Paris in 1917 so it's been lots of fun to research oh research is something that i haven't even touched on um everyone i've got kate forsyth coming on next week i think and she's been very very patient with me organizing that and i've been saving my research podcast for kate because as we know she writes she writes all those wonderful things but now that i've got you and you're talking about researching um Hmm. early 20th century paris tell Hmm. us how you've gone about that I have been so lucky. And that's another thing, actually, as a writer. As soon as you approach a professional in whatever area you need to learn about, nine times out of ten you get a very enthusiastic response. So last year I approached the National Gallery of Australia and I knew that they had a collection of um, ballet russe, which is the Russian ballet costumes, um, but they weren't on display. So I rang the gallery, got put in touch with the curator who had done the done the um, exhibition, I don't know, maybe I think it was back in 2010, got chatting with her. And she said, well, look, if you get to Canberra, I, I might be able to help you out. And I just happened to be going to Canberra. <laughs> so I said, As well, one does, yep. Stars <laughs> have aligned. <laughs> so I got to spend the day at the National Gallery with this wonderful lady and um, she took me into all the sort of out of public areas and I got to see costumes that um, Baselov Nijinsky danced in, um, Anna Pavlova, like all these amazing costumes which aren't normally on display and 
I got to see drawings that Picasso made um, for the sets of some of the ballets that he he was involved in um, and some of the original uh, ballet um, programs as well from, you know, like 80, 90 years old. And so I just spent the whole day just just trawling <laughs> through this amazing, amazing history that, that Australia's been so lucky to get. So, um, yeah, that kind of research, like you just... It just blows your mind. I mean, it was 18 months ago and I, I still look back on that day so fondly. It was one of the best days I've ever had researching. It was fantastic. How did you yeah. record it all? How did you get it all down? I just, I just go, oh, yeah. I would just be overwhelmed. How did you record it all? Yeah, um, photos. They let me take photos, which was lovely, just for my own record. And um, I'm a very quick writer. So I got her my pad and I had my pen and then the curator, bless her, she just looked at me and she goes, how about we swap that for a pencil? I thought, oh, yes, good idea because we need some really amazing stuff that we don't want to mark. So that's great. Pages and pages and pages. She told wonderful oh, Her knowledge was amazing and she told me wonderful stories. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's lots of books and documentaries that I've also researched as well. But I'm such a history buff, so research actually comes easily to me and it's something I'm really passionate about and I actually sometimes have to put the brakes on because once I go down that research hole I could be lost in there for a long time and get no writing done so yeah and, and <laughs> there as, are limits and as writers we I guess you stick yourself out on a limb because any factual errors will come back to bite you on the bottom so you've yeah. got to be accurate now I'm assuming the whole of this novel is set over over in France or mm. Russia or wherever. So we're totally out of our comfort zones here in Australia. So your extensive travel sets you up to write a story, and I'm guessing this could be why um, Kensington just adore you because you've opened up a world readership. Uh, I'll go f as far as to say a lot of us here as Australian writers would struggle to write with the depth of knowledge that you can because of your extensive travel. Is that, is that close to the mark? Um, look, I actually, yeah, yeah, I might, I might get kicked for saying this. Um, there's a lot of people who subscribe to the Write What You Know uh, and I think certainly when you're starting writing, it's really good to write about things that you know. But people who write um, things set in the Regency period or ancient Greece, how are they ever going to know that? Like if they've got a story to tell, as long as they research it well um, and to the best of their ability, then I, I think you can pretty much write about anything. Um, I do think you'd probably need to have a little bit of a natural flair for for research or natural love for research. Um, it's not for everybody. Um, I've got to write a friend who writes contemporary stories and she just says to me, oh, 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 I don't know how you could research so much. Like, oh, if it requires researching, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so it's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, but I think if you put the effort in and you have the desire to find out the information, then you can pretty much write what, about whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. And I, I imagine uh, I've, you've certainly piqued my interest about your new book coming out. I was already hooked um, by Midnight <laughs> Serenade. I just love the cover. I'm sorry, I love the cover and I'm hooked. Uh, <laughs> now you're talking about Paris in the early 20th century, which is just such a fascinating period. It's mm. after, after World War One. We're kicking into almost, um, uh, what is his 
Fitzgerald's um, Great Gatsby era. Yeah. We're coming yeah. into that period where life is really opening up and Paris had just come out of that really horrendous time and it was all glitter and gold there for a while. So you certainly had a wonderful, I guess, playground. So so I'm pretty excited. Then you've got all those beautiful Russian costumes with the ballet and everything. Your oh, knowledge, yeah. Your knowledge or your intimate knowledge of song and dance, which came through very strongly on your blog, um, they're the kind of things that as a reader I, I seek out because of your expertise. It's, a, it's an expertise that I don't have. Um, just like I'm guessing you don't have any expertise on the timber industry in the Atherton Tableheads in the Twitter <laughs> Centre. Um, I don't know why, but Paris sounds so much more exotic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've had to I've had to research cane fields yeah. before, which has actually you know what, and that's I think that was one of the things that you, you might find it yourself is sometimes when you you know you need to research something and you're thinking oh I don't know just it sounds a bit you know average, um, not so glamorous, and then you start researching and then all of a sudden you start finding these really cool things and it's like, hey, actually this is really interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's the, that's the thing about history, every, everybody. Sorry, Kate, we're blowing our interview. Um, but when you start to look, if you go to a cemetery and my youngest oh, daughter yeah. in particular just cringes, he says, please, mummy, do not take me to the Ravenswood Cemetery ever again. I can't bear it. Uh, I love I, cymmetries. I you track down why did so many people die that year? What happened and what was the big mm-hmm. explosion that wiped out half the town and and then you go to the pubs and you know all the buildings are there yep. and you just think, wow, this is really exciting. Now tell us about your travels in Paris. I'm assuming you've been there. Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> ruined. She's just ruined my dreams, everybody. <laughs> Everywhere else, no. That hence why research has been like essential. Luckily, it is a very popular destination, so I have been able to speak to people who um, have been to. There's a particular park that's quite central in my story, and so I've spoken to three people who've been to this particular park, and I have grilled them <laughs> so much. Um, and and I think that's one of the things, good things about um, the internet is. I mean, obviously, you need to be careful what you research because, you know, not everything's true on the internet, but certainly things like images um, really help, really help a lot and, you know, Google Street View and those sorts of things. And then talking to people who've been there um, and then showing you their photos and their experiences has has really, really helped. But, um, yes, no, it's, it's on the list <laughs> to yeah. go to. Uh, and it's really funny, everybody. Um, I was at school today and I'm at one of the oldest schools, I guess, in Brisbane, and I was in the main building and I was walking up the stairs to see somebody. They were a really narrow staircase, the really old timber, the ceilings were really high, you had all these beautiful balustrades, the paintings. I just, now no one could see me here, I was in the admin building, I just sat on the steps of this second floor with its marble staircase and I mm-hmm. just went, this is a story. So I quickly got out my iPad and I jotted <gasps> down, you know, 500 words and I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. But it just, you know, we read so much about it in the novels Um, and I'm talking, you know, back in the olden days of 
um, Catherine Cookson and Audrey Howard and all those kinds of people. Oh, yes. You, you, yeah. steal, you steal the atmosphere and we're putting mm-hmm. it in our own writing now in the 21st century and it, and it is exciting. Uh, I'm guessing as part of your writing life you have more stories to tell. If, you've just, if you're just winding up your Paris story because that's ready for the middle of next year, you'd be yeah. fussing around in your brain for your next ideas. That's so funny. Your timing is amazing. I've actually got a, a meeting with my agent um, over Skype um, in a couple of days. I've just just hit send about two hours ago with um, a whole list of ideas that I've got going on. Um, some things I've written 30,000 words on, but I'm not sure if I want to run with it. So we're having a little career planning meeting to find out where we're going to head next. Um, and I guess we'll just we'll just see, but um, it will always. I think my stories will always have something to do with culture, a different culture, um, and the books we were talking about before that are out with Harlequin and also with Kensington. I my character, my main character in the contemporary story, is she's from a, she's Australian, and so it's um, her experience in this new world that um, and the stories that unfold with that and I think that helps a lot of readers be able to relate to the stories if they haven't been there is because as the story unfolds and things happen to her and and the way she sees the world is the way most people would see that city or world um, if they went there for the first time. So I think that kind of grounds it a little bit. So you don't have to have travelled to those destinations to be able to experience them, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's really, look, I could unpack a lot of what you're saying and I'm thinking, okay, the theme of the podcast is the writing life. You're you're just going overboard with all this rich detail that makes me as, a, as an interviewer go, which direction do I want to go? Um, oh, it's It's exciting times because I'm listening to you as I guess a listener would and I'm wrapped up in you as a writer but I I keep trying to bring myself back and say, right, we're a writing podcast. We need the technical detail Um, because, well, it's not because we all want to hear your story as well. So it's an interesting interesting duality um, that I've got as a podcaster and as as my listeners have because we all want to know. Tell us about... You've mentioned your agent a couple of times now and I've jotted it down. I've given it a couple of ticks. Career planning and meeting. I mean, and you you, you made this really throwaway comment. Oh, I wrote 30,000 words, but I don't think I'm going to use it. I mean, spare me. <laughs> How can you do that? <laughs> How much time have you got, child? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this story's been kicking around in my head for, oh, two or three years. So what happened was when I wrote Linda Tango and it was being shopped around, um, I needed because, because, you know, when it goes out on submission, you can hear back in a week, you can hear back in six months. So I needed to keep the ball rolling. And so I came up with a, an idea that was totally separate. And so I started working on that because I thought, well, look, if Lena Tango doesn't sell and the other ideas for my books don't sell, I've got something else that I've started and this is keeping me from checking my email every five minutes, <laughs> checking the phone is not working. Um, so it was really an idea I had that I was developing while I was waiting to hear back from from um, publishers. Uh, and then, of course, I you know, got the fantastic yes. Uh, so I had to put that aside. But, but now I'm 
got a chance where I can actually pull that one back out again. I'm still in love with the story. And, yeah, so I'll just I'll just sort of see what my agent says and whether she – poor thing. She goes, sure, send me what you've got. And I've, I've sent her about six story ideas and um, two with partials being descripts written. So – well, that's what she gets for asking. She shouldn't have asked if she didn't want them. Uh, now, your 30,000 words that may or may not turn into your next novel. Um, yeah. Now, keep in mind that some of us, 30,000 words could be two novels. Uh, where, where's, just give me a clue. Where's it set? Um, this one is in 1950s, um, set in Hollywood. Again, with the dance. You know, oh, dance. Oh, I love stuff. I love that period. Please tell me you're me picking too. up on all our beautiful old musicals. Oh yes. Oh look, I've spent years researching. <laughs> I've watched musicals and, and now my kids are writing to musicals as well and they they know who Gene Kelly is. So. Oh, what have we got? We've got playing here or we just had a here in Brisbane, Australia. We just had singing in the rain. Yes. And I thought yes. dancing around the light pole will go down as one of the best. That's in history. Uh, It's fabulous. All right. Now I'm running out of time, as I always do, and I've got a couple of things I want to stir. I've still got my surfy um, Brazilian in the background. Oh, yes, Um, Brazilian. But that's that's, I'm ending that. Two things I want to cover very quickly. Uh, One is word counts. When I found you, you had just come off a stint of a huge writing binge. Uh, Everyone... Just relax now because um, Ali's going to tell us how many thousands of words she wrote in five and a half minutes. I think at one stage it was 35,000 words and then the next morning it was 45,000 words. Um, Talk about showing off. I've got no idea. Tell us about it. Okay, so I wrote two manuscripts this year. I started early March and by the end of, what was it? Mid-September, I'd written 240,000 words. <laughs> Have we done a daily count on that? Get out your calculators, everyone. Oh, dear. Um, admittedly, the, one of the manuscripts, the, the ballet one, had already had a lot of research done on it and it, there was a lot of notes, but it, oh, they made no sense. So it, it, it was pretty much a fresh write. So, yeah. Uh, so yes, And it's done. Uh, you know what? So Paris it's, is done. It's done. Paris is done. Oh, congratulations. Done. <laughs> so you're actually free. Everybody, well, Ellie's yeah. got nothing to do. <laughs> I wish. No. You know what? I Because I sent off the, the Paris one to uh, Kensington on uh, on Monday and I thought, oh, fantastic, I'll take the week off. And then I looked at all the things that I've been putting off for all these months and I'm like, yeah, I really need to attend to these things. So, Unfortunately, my holiday hasn't happened, but I'm hoping maybe in November I might be able to take a few days off and go on, go to the movies and have a coffee and catch up with friends. I mean, I still do. Like, I'm not a workaholic, although it does sound a bit like it, but <laughs> I wouldn't recommend writing two manuscripts in that amount of time. It's quite insane, and but it's done. And they're long <laughs> manuscripts. Um, but don't forget, this is yeah. a woman who has travelled around the world for many, many years, has a passion for life, has a passion for living. Uh, to achieve even half of what you've done takes huge amounts of energy. So I'm guessing all that energy that you poured into travel and getting out there and doing it, you're now pouring into your writing and loving it just as much by the look of you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, when I am writing about places that I've been to, um, quite often I I have quite a, a, I guess, a a cinematic kind of 
imagery in my head and so if I'm writing about a place I've been to quite often I thank goodness I can touch type so I'll actually close my eyes and I will imagine myself in that place and then I'll I'll type type that and it's kind of nice because it takes me back to that moment that I was you know on the beach in Copacabana or at this plaza in Buenos Aires and um so I do use a lot of my travels um, in my storylines as well, um, which is is great, and that's one of the things I love about it is I get to I get to relive my travel memories sometimes in my stories. Now, keep in mind that this lady has written about tango. Okay, so I'm guessing you have relived your tangoing days with handsome heroes. <laughs> Someone asked me once. They said, "Oh, is Carlos? Who's he's the hero in the present day story?" They said, "Oh, is, is, is Carlos someone you know?" And I said, "You know what? He is a combination of all the best parts <laughs> of different guys I dated while I was in Argentina." <laughs> okay, everybody, I have to do it. Let's bring in the surfy hero from Brazil. We are oh. now into the hot and sexy. Uh, yes. We're going to end with it, and I always had intended to end with, with it, but um, Ali has brought in a beautiful segue. Tell us about, uh, let me, I'm looking up the name of it now, I've lost it. Tell us about your surfy hero. Oh, my, my surfer hero. Yeah, so this is a hot stuff. Story. Hot stuff or hot surf? Hot, yeah, hot, hot stuff. It is hot stuff. It's hot stuff. Oh, excuse me, I'm doing <laughs> yeah. the intro. Hot sun, warm bodies, tight skin, electricity in the air, song of the sea, Brazil, humor, sex, and um, a story of place. Tell us all about it. <laughs> well, this was um, a, an anthology that I, I wrote with um, three other Australian authors, um, Carla Caruso, Tess Woods, and Maria Lewis. Um, and it's really interesting because we were all given the same brief, which was to around about 10,000 words, um, come up with a story, a romance around surfing. And just with all our different experiences, we picked different parts of the world. For me, it was Brazil. I, there was just no... No second guessing that at all. Um, so a lot of it's set, or well, it is set in Rio, and it's about an Australian rock star who's got a lot of issues. <laughs> but then so is this gorgeous surfer that she meets, and it's just it, it, when when the opportunity came to write this story, it came at the most perfect time. And I really do think that sometimes things happen for a reason. And I was actually in the middle of Under the Spanish Stars, and I'd hit. I hit this wall and I couldn't couldn't go past it. And so in the end, this opportunity came up. I thought, you know what, I'm going to step away from this story and I'm going to go and do this short story because it will give me a sense of accomplishment. It's um, I think mine ended up being about eight, eight and a half thousand words. Um, so it was kind of done and dusted in a much shorter amount of time and I got this lovely sense of achievement. Uh, and that actually unstuck me on my big manuscript. So things Things all worked out perfectly. But, yeah, it was really fun to to write a short story. I hadn't written a short story since high school um, and I certainly wasn't writing about hot surfers <laughs> back then. <laughs> Maybe my English teacher wouldn't have minded. Who knows? Um, but it was, it was fun just to be part of an anthology and going back to that camaraderie, um, you know, sharing that experience of the anthology with, with three other authors um, was really fun. Really fun. 
Yeah. And and look, everybody, there is so much more to this woman. I only I sat down all afternoon when I got home from school and I only had one piece of paper back in front and I scribbled and filled both sides of the piece of paper. Here it is, everyone. <laughs> it's all here, notes everywhere, written sideways on the page, and we've only covered some of it. Um Ali, you have a fascinating life. Uh, I am totally hooked on your Russian costumes. Even hearing, and I don't know how everyone else feels about this, but talking to the author and hearing about how the story came about, going to Canberra, uh, Mm. walking through the costumes, writing the notes, taking the photographs, talking to the curator of the museum, uh, just such exciting stuff, or whether I'm totally insane and I'm the only one that gets excited about it. Um, oh, I do. Yeah, it's the life of a writer, and our podcast purpose today was to hear about the life of a writer. Ali has been more than generous. And don't forget, first book, 2014. It's only 2016. Two novels, 200 and something thousand words in a year. More to come, the next 30,000 words happening as we speak. Speak. Uh, where was it? Where where was the next one set? I've forgotten already. No, oh, Troy Paris. Paris. Yep, yep. We're happening. We are. It is really, really exciting. Ali, it would appear that you've adopted, I guess, the writing life with the same zest that you've adopted the travelling life. Do you think this is it, or are you just just don't know where you're going to go next? Um, you know, it's just really funny. I've got a lot of friends at the moment who, because I've, I've got young kids and a lot of the mums returning to school and, and doing different things. And I thought, oh, you know, I'd like to go back and uh, study to be a teacher. And then I thought, <gasps> I thought <laughs> and that's what I thought. I thought, what am I doing? No, I'm doing what I love. And actually I'm teaching a course in January. So there you go. I get to do both. <laughs> oh, Sorry. what course? Tell us about the course and then I'll let you go. Yeah. That's okay. Um, It's uh, with uh, Writers Victoria and it's in Melbourne. So if anyone's interested in learning a bit more about uh, writing, uh, how to write a synopsis synopsis, um, and how to write a blurb, which I love, which I know makes me really weird, but um, and also just the anatomy of stories and scenes. Um, I'm doing a one-day course. It's actually quite cheap. And if you go to the Writers Victoria website, you'll be able to to find out information there. Um, but it, and it's designed for um, beginning to emerging writers, and um, we'll have lots of fun. We will we'll have we'll have movie excerpts because I, I find that a lot of movies are great in courses because you can condense a whole lot of information in one little scene and then sort of deconstruct that scene. So um, and they'll they, be dancing. There'll be lots of dancing. I was going to say. If not, I might, I might just do a special tap dance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, it all happens. I've got to tell you, everybody, that I'm hooked um, and I'm guessing you are all as well. Ali, you're amazing. Um, and I'm still looking at that planner for 2016. I almost feel like we should flip it over and look at your plan for 2017. Everyone, as far as the writing life goes, I'm going to suggest that the to-do list never goes away and it gets longer. Ali has an agent um, that has just been bombarded with all her ideas. Um, Some of us just tell them to the cat. Uh, But ideas 
are what make our lives as exciting as they are. Um, and it's those ideas that stick and those 200,000 words that get written that turn our ideas into novels, that turn our novels into, I guess, experiences with our readers and it's our readers that keep us going. Ali has, has I guess, done it all in that very, very short period of time. I can't wait to see where you go next, Ali. Uh, if you'd like to tell us where we can find out more about you and then we'll all see you in Victoria in January to watch Jean Kelly dance around the pole. Yes, you can find me on www.allysinclair.com. So that's A-L-L-I, Sinclair. Um, there, I have a newsletter. I don't send one out very regularly, but um, it's usually chock full of news. And uh, I do like to offer prizes here and there. So, so if you're interested in finding out a bit more about travel culture, any new books, um, I also like to promote other people's books along the similar vein to mine. You can sign up there. There's a, a VIP club. And um, I'm also on Facebook, of course, under Ali Sinclair Author. So um, you can find me there. I'm also on Twitter, occasionally on Instagram. <laughs> I, I love Instagram, but the problem is it's such a time suck. I just get, I, oh, look at that, oh, that, and then two hours go. So, <laughs> yeah, and occasionally on Twitter. But, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm pretty much all over the place. <laughs> yeah, and and for all of you, I, we did cover it very brief, briefly, but we didn't go into it too, in too much detail because there was just too much happening here tonight. Ali has on her blog, she has the story behind the story of, oh, yes. of other authors and several of her authors have been on my um, podcast already. I'm now going to use her pod, her blog, Story Behind the Story, as my to-do list. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, sit back, relax, enjoy, learn how, I guess, our writers work. Um, we've got lots more coming on the podcast. I've got... Um, uh, how I guess the business of writing I'm looking at running a series my next mini series might be author authorpreneurs uh, so we've had indie writing we've had the business of writing now we might do the authorpreneur thing uh, I don't know what's coming up next because the more I delve into the lives of these beautiful beautiful uh, writers the more excited I get uh, so thank you for listening to Writer on the Road today Ali is absolutely beautiful her beautiful smiling face um, her books are great I'll put everything up on, I guess, on my podcast. I always have good intentions to do blogs, but it never quite happens. Um, but it's gonna, everybody. <laughs> it really, really is gonna. Um, leave us a leave us a review on iTunes, which I always forget to ask for, but that's starting to happen as well. Um, for our librarian in Victoria, please put Ali Ali on your list because her books are just gorgeous, and I'm guessing they'll walk I up the shelves. I love librarians, <laughs> <laughs> and I think she, she's yeah, in Melbourne. You're in Melbourne. You guys can get together and do. Yeah. I've done lots of stuff in Melbourne, yeah. so yeah, yeah it's great. Okay. <laughs> and it's um, goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Ali. Okay, goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening. And it's um, all for now from Rider on the Road.